Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hello there, listeners. This is Richard and Linda Ayer, and we are really on the road this week. We are calling from London, England. This is really Ayers on the Road, or Ayers in the Air, or Ayers in the Sky, or we something. We have been in the air. We've had quite an amazing week, actually. We're we're here with our daughter tonight, but we've had several speaking engagements all over Europe, so we should tell them a little bit about our adventure, I think. We actually started um, in D.C., Washington, D.C., where our son is. We had a speech there this week, and it was fun to have them involved because they're just so good and add some credibility to what we have to say. And then we got on a jumbo jet at Dulles Airport in D.C., and we uh, flew off into the sky, and in 30 minutes, the pilot came on and said, I have some rather bad news. One of our engines is on fire. And we thought, well, this is too bad because we really wanted to do that radio show. <laughs> <laughs> no, we were, nobody seemed to really panic. He said, we're fine, we're fine, but we have to turn around. So we saw the little U-turn on the monitor, and sure enough, we went back. There were six fire engines waiting for us when we got there, and actually they checked everything out. It was getting hotter and hotter. The air conditioning was not working, but the fire was not active at that point. Maybe but the fire is what was making it hotter. It, well, I, that crossed <laughs> my mind, actually, but um, we actually did. Finally, they just said, you've just got to get off the plane because uh, we can't go tonight. We can't take this plane. There's not a backup plane. But they said, don't worry. We'll we'll rebook you for tomorrow evening. And so, of course, we had to be uh, in Poland the next day in the afternoon. And, and you know how these, uh, I shouldn't say this on the air. I'm sure airlines try their hardest, but they, they weren't trying really hard. We haven't divulged which airline it was, so I guess it's okay. But we, through the wiles and through the efforts of um, our <laughs> prayers. <laughs> and Richard, who is the only person that may have swung this, because they just said there is no plane going before tomorrow night. We can get there by there by 3.30 tomorrow afternoon. And we actually had speech at 9 a.m. the next day. And until don't, don't worry, we're going to get the 11. parenting. We're going to get we the are. parenting on And this. then again from 12 to 2. So it, the whole thing would have been over. They were coming from all over Poland. We were just saying, no, 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 we cannot take no for an answer. We have to be there. And we found we it. We finally British found Airways a, British Air, a British Airways flight that was not a regularly scheduled one, but they had to get a plane back to England from Dulles. And it was leaving at 11.20, and we managed to get on it, and we made it to Poland, and we were so glad to be there. And we met with a marvelous group of parents who, most of them had been born during the communist era. And then 20 years ago, when the wall came down, they, 23 years ago, when the wall came down, they were able to taste freedom for the first time and they were all entrepreneurs they'd started their own companies and there they were ready to delve into the important things of life namely parenting and we had a wonderful meeting with them. in fact it was really interesting because you know when we started explaining how important it is to feel ownership for your things and what a difference ownership makes they were all kind of smiling, and finally one of them raised their hand and said, you don't have to tell us about ownership. We've lived under communism. We know exactly what you're saying. 
So we're trying to convince them that the best thing they could give to their kids was ownership, ownership of their decisions and their money and their choices and their values and all those kinds of things that we always talk about. But this had special meaning for them because communism does not allow a lot of free choice. But we were we were reflecting what two uh, different groups those were the group the group of parents in Washington D.C. and then the one in Poland, and you know a lot of the trappings are different. I mean, imagine the difference between growing up in the nation's capital and raising your family there, and growing up behind the Iron Curtain and then raising your family in Poland. But here's the interesting thing: again, once it gets down to the relationship between the parent and the child. The hopes, the dreams, the worries, the fears, so much is similar. In fact, we what we do more and more is we draw on the experiences we've had in other countries in order to point out that parenting, while it sometimes seems like a very lonely process, and you sometimes feel as a parent that you're experiencing problems and worries and concerns that no other parent has ever had, it's kind of comforting this is what we try, the comfort we try to provide, to know that parents everywhere, literally across the world, are feeling a lot of those same things. And something about just knowing that and understanding that uh, you're not the only one that feels a little desperate at times makes a big difference to people, don't you think? Yeah, I think it really does. Although there are some cultural differences, we have to say. Uh, we had the most interesting experience. Uh, uh, one of our hosts took us out to dinner, he and his wife. She was a Fulbright scholar, and he had gone to the Kennedy School at Harvard in Boston. And they had two little girls. One was a ranked tennis player, and a 12-year-old, and then they had a 7-year-old. And uh, they it was so interesting because they gave out T-shirts at the end to all of the children because, of course, it was about families. And it was a picture of a lion family. I, <laughs> I guess the lion is the Polish um, symbol, animal symbol or something. Anyway, it was kind of a cutesy little thing. And the seven-year-old was thrilled. And then the 12-year-old had said, um, Mother, I'm so embarrassed to say this, but really, I can't wear this T-shirt. <laughs> it's just a little bit, I, what she meant was <laughs> corny or cheesy, you know, but she didn't use that word, I'm sure. And but the way she said that was so polite. It's just a little different than our teenagers. Yeah, an American teenager said, "Mom, if you think I'm wearing this, you must be nuts. This is a little kid's T-shirt or something." But this this young lady, because there is a kind of a culture of politeness and respect that we sometimes lack in America, and this little gal said, "Mother, I'm so embarrassed to to say this, and I don't wish to hurt your feelings, but." I don't think I can wear that T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> it is really interesting when you see the they talk about their kids all day. In this particular group, they had made a film. They'd gone to five of the different families and asked the kids questions concerning what we were going to be talking about during the day. And actually, the kids were delightful. Didn't you think they were adorable? <laughs> they were great. I mean, they were candid, as kids always are. <laughs> yeah, and, and one of the dads had just said, you know, what do you do when you have a 15-year-old son, and last year you were the smartest person in the world, and this year you're the dumbest person in the world. <laughs> and, and he was one of the ones that was interviewed, and we can kind of see that in his demeanor. So, you know, it's not that teenagers are all that different, but... It was really interesting to see those kids in their home. One of the questions was, what, what do your parents do to relax? 
<laughs> they they said things like, "Well, my dad usually comes home and takes a nap," and "Well, my mom, she um, leaves the house and goes for a walk around the block or whatever." They, and they, you know, kids. It, it was funny because we the night before in Washington were with our grown son Eli who was keeping our ideas in check. We would tell a parenting idea and he'd say, well, it wasn't exactly quite like that. And then he'd set the record straight a little bit. And then the next night there we were in Poland with all these kids who were essentially uh, telling the truth about their parents. They were, I think what one little girl said is, my mother just goes shopping. Yeah. I mean, that's When she needs to relax, she difficult. goes shopping. Yeah. But uh, all in all, it was a great, a great trip and a fun visit and then the following night we got on another plane and no no fires on the engine this time and we oh wait before you leave poland we do have to tell you that there is um well spring was just starting and the last time we were in poland about 12 years ago it was so bleak and dark and gray and everything was just sad and now it is just a new place it's beautiful it has so many beautiful Buildings that have been rebuilt since the war. All of Warsaw was just leveled during the war. And there's a hopeful feeling. There's a brand new stadium there. The World Cup is going to be there. The World European Cup will be European there this Cup coming June year for, for soccer. And um, But the stories that poured out of these people were quite incredible. Our host's grandmother was being taken, and not even Jewish, but Polish. They decided they didn't even like the Poles. So... They were sending them either to work camps or concentration camps, and concentration camps they knew was sure death. So this little grandmother ate raw potatoes and what was what she put on? Yeah, Some she kind ate of raw potatoes with a lot of salt on it, and it induced a fever. And so the people, the interrogators, the Germans, the Gestapo, thought that she was ill and sent her to the infirmary and to the, the hospital instead of to the concentration camp, the concentration which actually camp. saved her life and saved all the generations that came after that. So there were some amazing stories that, of course, if we had a little more time, we could have delved a little deeper, but what a history. And almost yeah. all, almost all these people, because again, you're only going back 22 or 23 years to have the, the, uh, to have the wall in place. And so they all had a story, and a lot of them were about life and death. And I think what's interesting is that the uh, the carryover sort of gratitude and joy for freedom is so strong now in Poland. And I think these parents pass it on to their kids, and I think their kids are raised appreciating their, the fact that they have freedom and they have free enterprise and can do things. And so that was a kind of a bright spot there, I thought, in, in Poland. By the way, we should mention, it's Linda, brilliant. we also, uh, our host took us to what I think may be the finest dinner we have had in a restaurant for several years. It was absolutely phenomenal. It was just phenomenal, and we, we got to know that couple a little bit better. And, and we're going to go back. We promised them we'd come back and speak another time and sort of have the graduate course on parenting. Then we got on a plane and we went to Germany and we went to a fascinating part of Germany that we'd never visited before, Nuremberg. When you hear that, that when you hear that, you will probably identify with the Nuremberg trials. And it turns out that it was in Nuremberg that Hitler began his uprising in the early 30s. That was where 
that was the center of his demonstrations and his parades and his rising up of the people and so on in the beginning of his political power. And so when the war ended, the Allied powers decided to hold the, the trials for war criminals, Nazi war criminals, in that same city. And it is a gorgeous city. And, uh, you know, they, they rebuilt the parts that were bombed. And we had an amazing time there. And, and in this case, we were speaking to a group of church parents, uh, to, a, to a, a large congregation of parents, and we were able to be a little more spiritual in what we had to say. And I, I think one of the interesting things about what we do, Linda, I think, is that the juxtaposition between secular audiences, which we have many times, and religious audiences, which we have other times, and it is so much easier, for me at least, speaking for myself, to speak to people who have faith, people who believe, people who pray. And, and of course, most people do. Most, most yes, parents do. Yes, everyone we speak to, I think, have faith, but just in a little different way. But to so. be able to say, you know, sometimes, uh, to paraphrase what Lincoln said, not about parenting, but about other things, Lincoln said, there are times when I'm driven to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I have nowhere else to go. I think a lot of parents feel that, Linda, at times when, when it really gets hard and when you're at your wit's end, you just say a prayer and you basically say, Heavenly Father, these are your children and I need help. <laughs> and you know, this was particularly um, poignant because there was a young couple there who happened to be the daughter of uh, one of our missionaries, when we served 35 years ago in England, what his the father had now given birth to this child, who had now given birth to two little tiny babies, and her husband had had the dream of being a helicopter pilot. So they were stationed in Germany uh, with the Air Force, and he is going to be deployed next week to be for his first deployment to Afghanistan. And so talk about a family facing, I mean, we, we spent a little yes. time with them and we started thinking how, what an amazing trial and what an amazing sort of new generation beyond what we usually think about of problem is faced by these military families where the father or the mother in many cases is deployed to a combat zone and the kids are left with the remaining parent and, uh, Talk about adding another worry to the difficult time of raising children. Anyway, Ayers on the Road. We sure have been on the road, but when we come back after the break, we want to tell you about something a little more personal, which is that we're right now staying in England with our daughter who's moved here with our son-in-law and their four children and are raising their kids for the time being at least in a British society. And we'll tell you, we'll brag a little about some of these remarkable grandkids and what it's like. What a lot of fun they're having <laughs> with the crisis mixed in. And maybe we'll right. get into traveling with kids a little bit, Linda, because that's a big problem for all parents. It is, and we'll see you in a few minutes. we're back we're way back we're in England as most of those of you who've been listening know um, we it's actually it's very late at night here yeah it's it's a you know seven hour time difference and so we're about ready to go to bed but before we do 
Well, let's give you a little personal history. We moved to England for three years, many years ago, when we had four little children. And we lived here for three years, and two more were born while we were here. Our sons, Talmadge and, and uh, Jonah. And, of course, they are now British citizens because they were born in England. And uh, they're American citizens because we're their parents. And so they think they're pretty cool because they have two passports. But the point is, we found that there was a remarkable intrigue and a remarkable education involved in having kids live in a different country, in a different culture for a little while. Not everyone can do that. It doesn't always work out. But we found it a remarkable thing. And by the time we came home, all of our little kids had thorough little British accents and were very British in everything they did. In fact, on the plane on the way home, I was trying to explain to the four-year-old who just happens to be the very daughter that we're visiting now in England, because she's moved here with her family, and we'll get to that. But anyway, on the plane on the way home, um, she was just, I said, ask me any question you want, Sadie, about America, because you've, you've only lived there one year. You, you moved to England when you were one, and now you're four, and you've lived three years in England. So do you have any questions about America? And she thought for a minute, and she said, uh, well, who's the queen of America? Because she was very into Queen Elizabeth and into the royal family. <laughs> and I looked her in the eye and I said, Sadie, I hate to tell you this, but we don't have a queen in America. And she got the most startled, horrified look on her little face. And she said, well, then whose picture do they put on their pound notes? <laughs> You know, with a perfect British accent, I might add, they were all perfectly British. By the time we got home, it took them about three weeks to go back to that harsh old American sound. But we had a lot of fun while we were here. So it's especially delightful when her husband got transferred to England just for six months in January. So they're about halfway through their adventure here. Right. And every week, their car breaks down. <laughs> Um, I mean, literally, they, they thought they'd buy a used car, you know, because they're only going to be here six months. And uh, something has happened, literally. She's been, she has broken down on the major M25 freeway here four times, five times. Well, so, but she home gets from the airport five. the other night. The car broke down again. It's yeah, a nice minivan. Yeah. Well, honestly, she was a little bit distraught. Thank goodness we were there. We went out to dinner while the tow truck came and all that. And when we finally got the car to where it was supposed to be, she was, poor Sadie, our daughter, was wringing her hands and saying, oh, if only I had this or if only I had that. And her seven-year-old, her oldest, named Hazel after my mother, said, Mother, you're overthinking this. <laughs> and we could just hear the dad's voice in that, you're overthinking this. And absolutely she was, you know, she um, had gone through it many times in her mind um, and I don't blame them for being pretty exasperated, but it really was fun to see the wisdom coming out of these little children. Well, little, here's the thing, little British kids just, they seem so much smarter than American kids and part of it is their accent <laughs> and they say very grown up things because British people treat their children as though they were grown up in many cases but that's actually a good segue into what I wanted to say, Linda, and that is that uh, 
you know, when you when you travel with children, whether it's a big trip like this is for our daughter where they'll be staying here for the better part of a year, or whether it's just a family vacation, there's something enormously educational about travel. And um, I really want to make a point of that. And Linda may, may make me back off on this a little because we know travel's never convenient with children. You all know even going on a road trip with children, if you go more than two or three hours is a very difficult thing. And there's a lot of adjusting that has to be done and a lot of inconvenience that goes with it. But we think that if you make your travel an educational experience with kids, if you really have them paying attention to the different things they're seeing, that becomes remarkable in terms of its education. And we were, we were a little bit extreme in this when our children were growing up. We'd take them out of school fairly frequently to go on this trip or on that trip. And, and the schools, frankly, would give us a hard time every once in a while. You can't take your kids out of school for 10 days how will they ever catch up on their work and so on? And we, we would just get used to saying, well, how about we have them write a real nice theme on their travel experience? And some teachers went for that and some didn't too much. But we developed a little motto in the family. And I don't know if I should divulge the little motto. Should I? Let I, I think we probably should, although there may be some teachers listening yeah, that, may, may, resent us, that but... may resent it. But the, the motto was never let schooling interfere with your education <laughs> it's so interesting what kids can soak in we have two families now homeschooling one in hawaii which we talked about early in an earlier show when we were with them a few weeks ago and then this family because they couldn't get their kids in school they've been in school in boston but now they just couldn't in the middle of the year get them in a school so this sadie is having a ball doing mommy school and the kids are having a ball. There's big timelines up on the walls, and the, they have a special homeschool room, and, and artwork, and and you know, if you ask Charlie, who's six, about six um, you know, about Henry VIII's wives. Well, there were six, six wives, and this is the way it goes: divorced, beheaded, died; divorced, beheaded, survived. You know, <laughs> <laughs> he, he knows the whole story. And, of course, Hazel knows that as well, as well as a lot of other things. They've taught us a lot about English history since we got here. It's delightful to see kids really learning and soaking in and then being able to go to the actual location of where things happen. And of course, everyone doesn't have that opportunity, but because they do, we think they're we're really proud of them. They're really We really the are. We really are. And, and, you know, I guess what I'm really leading up to, and I don't know if this is direction you were going, Linda, but I think that what you parents need to really, really pay attention to is that it isn't the school that's in charge of your kids' education. It's you. The buck stops with you as parents. And I think the best educated kids are those who get all they can out of their school, but whose parents really make an effort to supplement that education through travel through discussion of things in the home, through following up and being involved with their homework. All the studies show that the most important factor in a child's education is the involvement of the parent. And that doesn't just mean helping them with homework. It really means exposing them to ideas and to places and to things. 
And we run into so many parents, especially on some of these speaking trips, who are so worried. Are my kids in the right school? Are they getting the right preparation so they can apply for good colleges? Are they going to be able to compete on the SAT test and so on? And honestly, for what it's worth, it's not so much what school they're going to. It's how much the parents are involved in the education. And we see cases all the time where kids are getting into great colleges, even though they didn't go to a fancy prep school or even a particularly good school because the parents were involved and really got them ready to go to college and to do well on entrance exams. You know, what we love to do with our kids is, I mean, we figured they know they're getting the three R's of school, but we wanted to give them the other three R's, and we we thought there was only one place to do that, and that's around the dinner table. So um, t- we talked about art. We talked about history just for fun. I mean, you know, for half an hour during dinner, we would do so many interesting things and we learned a lot in fact one of the um chapters or units was on england and we had learned about turner the paintings of turner and today we were at the tate gallery looking at the same turner did you notice that paintings that we had in that unit and it really is quite interesting what we did was played games mostly at the dinner table that's right and we've run out of time but it's been so wonderful being with you today and being involved in this discussion, we've kind of covered a broad range of things. But I really want to tell you that education is more a product of what the parents do than what the schools do. And as we see these little grandchildren of ours that we've been watching so closely the last few days, they're, they're out of school now. The parents are homeschooling. And by the way, homeschooling is not always a choice of I'm going to homeschool forever or I'm going to homeschool not at all. In, in the case of, as Linda said, two of our kids, they're homeschooling for a period of time, in this case, six months. And when they get back, the kids will go back into school. And sometimes that variety in education is really the key to everything. And I think we need to wrap up. Well, I think we have about one minute left. And let me just say that um, I think the games around the dinner table were so fun at our house. We did have speeches. Remember that? Um, once a week, we would say, okay, you're going to give a one-minute speech on doorknobs. We would tell them that they had to start with a bang and end with a bang, and they had one minute to say everything they could think of about doorknobs. And it was really hilarious to see. Richard would time them. When the time was up, buzz, that was over. But I think because they had that little experience with the kid, with the family, they've all become pretty darn good speakers. So there's so many things that you can teach in your homes. And we really um, advocate that you think a little bit more about education just because we're in the education world right now. So it's been great to be with you. Ayers on the Road from London, England. We'll see you next week, and we'll be back home in Park City. Looking forward to seeing you then. And Ayers on the Road on the radio. Bye-bye.